All right. All right. So this is uh, VB's podcast. This is a new solo project that we're playing off of our Two Pines and a Prayer podcast, which you should definitely download and listen to that. Um, the idea of this podcast was to sit down with my friends and, and my future friends and have one-on-one conversations about things that interest me that don't necessarily fit into you know, a podcast about dads and marriage and kids. So today I've actually got my first guest ever, ever. You're the first one, dude, for this podcast. His name is Rod Lawrence. Uh, he's a good buddy of mine. We started out getting to know each other because our kids ended up playing flag football together and then basketball together from kindergarten up until about a year ago. So we spent multiple nights together. It was a special group of adults that we had together for a long time there where I can truly say from everyone that was on that team, that was the core of that team. I looked forward to seeing those parents every single night and they were people that even though Oliver moved on is on different teams and kind of people have separated. Um, I really miss having conversations with you guys and getting to see you guys. So it was kind of cool when you reached out to me and you're like, hey, I'm going to be at the coffee shop. Do you want to have coffee? And I was like, yeah, let's do that. And then we had this really interesting conversation. And I said, would you ever want to do a podcast? And you're like, F it, let's do it. Yes, sir. So I said, well, how about <laughs> how about Wednesday? And All right, let's go. So first off, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, kind of your background, Ron. Sure, absolutely. Well, I mean, I've been in St. Louis forever now, but basically I'm from Texas, uh, West Texas, Odessa, Texas. If you ever read the book uh, Friday Night Lights, that town is where I'm from. That's where I was born. And I uh, spent most of, well, the nice part of my childhood in Dallas. And then uh, by high school, moved here to the St. Louis area because my dad's job transferred him here. And uh, from there, uh, just life has me stuck here. Got make a long story short, got my first job here and my first real job. And I've been in my same company for over 15 years now. So. Yeah, that, I got stuck. Every time I want to leave, it seems like something brought me back. So We have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I've told Stacy, my wife, many times, you know, I'm not from St. Charles. I'm not from St. Louis. I was born in Colorado. Yeah. Did some time in Iowa and then grew up most of my time in Ellis, Illinois. And uh, I met a girl from North County. Yeah. And, you know, we fell in love and we got married. And I had this idea in my head because I was a free spirit and I was quite honestly really stupid. I thought, oh, we're going to get married and then we're going to move to like Colorado yeah. or San Diego and do something really cool. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when I looked at her and I, and I said, you know, it would be really fun. Like we had this conversation after we got married because I'm a genius, right? Yeah. We didn't do this yeah. beforehand. Yeah. Uh, and I said, it would be really fun to move to, you know, to Boulder for a year. And she goes... I'm never leaving my family. Yep, that, <laughs> she she looked me dead in the eyes because I'm never leaving my family. And I was like, so does that mean that I have to kill your family or uh, what are we doing here? Long story short, her family is incredible. Well, so that would never happen. So you, Aren't they, you knew them because you were at all the games. Exactly, and they're very right. present in you our lives. Yeah. And they are, they are incredible people. So obviously we didn't kill them. And uh, we also, I didn't win that battle. So since my wife's from North County, we couldn't even stay anywhere else. We had to move to St. Charles. Because yeah. any of you not listening from the St. Louis area, North County is a, a section of St. Louis that if you grew up there, there's unwritten rules. Maybe they're even written. Yeah. St. Charles is only filled with people from North County or married to people from North County. No one else lives here that I know of. Yeah, it doesn't seem that way. So, no one decides just to say, yeah, this seems like the right place to be. It, it, it's like a, everyone just kind of 
It goes, it, it's in a circle. Except the people from North County. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, this is where my homeland, I right. have to be here. And I'm like, you're not even from here. And they're like, I have to be here. Yeah. And you're like, okay. So here we are. And, you know, I've learned to appreciate many things about it. And it's started to, you know, wear me down. And I, I dream less because I'm a little bit more dead inside each day. Uh, but here we are. And, and honestly, the beauty of that is it's forced me to be still which is not in my nature. My nature is to go somewhere new every year and have a new adventure. Yeah. And the beauty in that is, had I been doing that, I would not be sitting at this table having a conversation with a guy that my kid played basketball yeah. with that I've come to really appreciate and respect and be sitting here having a conversation because we have a relationship for, I don't know, how many years has it been? Gosh, the kids Seven years? are like four, four or five, so they're, what, 11, 12 now, so they're, yeah. Oliver's 12, 12 minus 4, if I use my fingers, <laughs> I think it's eight. 8. That's 8, yeah, 8 years, so man. So 8 years we've been boys, mostly yeah. because we ended up on some random basketball team because Oliver went to school at Independence when we yeah. moved to St. Charles from yeah. Maplewood and met Nicholas McClellan mm -hmm. and said, yeah. hey, my dad's got a flag football team, you want to play? And Oliver came home and said, yeah. I want to play, Dad, and here we are. Yeah. And you know what, if we really think about it, this has been a long time coming, because think about some of the conversations we would have just sitting on the sidelines at practice or, or whatever. We've had some pretty in-depth conversations sometimes, just kind of sitting back and just kicking the stuff. So, you know, this, this, is, this is good. I think this was something that we were meant to do, man. Here's the problem with me. If, if I find out that you can have an interesting conversation, yeah. <laughs> I kind of am attracted to talking to you, and yeah. then I want to have real conversations. For sure. I, you know. Here. I, if you make the mistake of saying something interesting and having in-depth thoughts near me, yeah. there's a good chance that I'm going to harass you repeatedly because I know <laughs> that I can actually have an interesting conversation, which is ultimately what I'm here for. I'm the same way, man. I want to pick your brain and, and see what you have to say about it because, yeah, you, you know some of the conversations, which I'm sure during this podcast, maybe not today, but at some point, some of those conversations are going to come out that we had probably. Absolutely. Yeah. And because I have no memory, you'll have to remind me what we talked about. I'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I right. definitely, I've, I really thought that out. <laughs> uh, so how do you get from, I, I mean, I guess you come from Texas up here just because of your dad. So how long have you been here? Man, uh, I guess officially saying being, being here, I would have to say since I was 25, like nine in school or anything like that. We'd have to say 24, 25. I've, I've been here and I'm 40 now, so that's what, 16 years. Let me do the math. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're about 16 years. Yeah, about 16 years. And it's the same for me, man. It's kind of like, it's always a woman involved, just like you, you know. Um, met someone that we just gelled so well, met her at work. That's where we first, you know, that's where we met. Worked for the same company and, uh, you know. From there, I, I just had to, had to be around every day at that point, so I couldn't leave. And, uh, yeah, who knows, once, you know, she has a, before I met her, she already had a son that was five, and uh, now he's 18. He's a big boy, dude. Yeah. Like, he's getting and, tall. Yeah, he's getting big. He's a senior in high school this year, man, and, you know, so we got rid of one. So maybe I'll be able to, and Dominic is, Dominic is 12 now, so I have six years, maybe I can do that whole, like you said, 
maybe move to Boulder or something, something cool like what you were talking. But I'm sure at that point, I, I'm so comfortable where I'm at. I'm willing to bet totally neither of us will really ever go anywhere except somewhere on vacation Probably because not. it'll be impractical and our wives won't let us. <laughs> right. Unless we somehow get ultimately very wealthy and we can have multiple homes. Something like that, right. But I get the feeling that we're settling in for a while yeah. against my better judgment. I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of comfortable in my, you know, in my world. So, But it's fun to get up, like you say, get away sometimes and just live vicariously for about a week and then it's time to come home. Where's your favorite spot? Uh, you know what? I think probably my favorite spot that I've been to would be probably Jamaica. Like I went to Jamaica for the very first time for my birth for my fortieth birthday this year. And we've been traveling quite a bit, but Jamaica, man, it's just it's just so laid back. Like it's everything you would think it like they say, you know, everything is iry, everything is all right, everything is all right. Did they uh, did they try to sell you stuff from the ocean oh, while you man. were sitting in the ocean? Yeah. Did you see the <laughs> Did you see the weed deals happening from I the did. dock on the yeah. guy with the surfboard? Yeah. Dude, me and Stacy got married in uh, in in Jamaica. We eloped and we got married there. Uh -huh. And I remember like our our parents and sisters and just immediate family came for that experience. Sure. And that's I remember fun. being. You know, because they've got, like, the, the private ocean for the resort that's roped off, yeah. right? And then it goes into the actual ocean. So all the guys that are trying to sell you stuff just sit on surfboards on that perimeter yeah. and yell at you yeah. while you're trying to relax yeah, in the water. The best thing I ever <laughs> saw, though, on that whole uh, vacation was mm -hmm. me and my dad got uh, kayaks, like sea kayaks, yeah. from the resort. And we're like, oh, we'll go out here and we'll paddle outside of this and enjoy the ocean. Yeah. So we get out on these kayaks. And this dude on a surfboard with these wooden figurines yeah. comes up next to us. He's on a paddleboard, so he's holding a wood figurine somehow. I've still never figured this out. I wish I had video. <laughs> he's holding a wood figurine, and he's got a, like a paddle. Yeah. And while we're in our sea kayaks, which are made to go faster, mm -hmm. and we have two hands on our paddle, yeah. we're trying to outrun this dude. Yeah. He's standing up on a paddleboard holding a wood figurine paddling with the other hand and he's keeping up with him and we can't lose him and the entire time he's like you buy this for your wife you want this wood figure i'm like i don't want it i don't want it. i'm trying to get away from you i can't get away i couldn't escape right. this dude on a paddleboard with one hand that's crazy was faster than me in an actual kayak with two hands on and my they paddle are adamant man they're gonna find a way to sell you uh, i thought about drowning myself to get away i'm gonna be honest or at least like tipping my dad's kayak so yeah. like he was stuck dealing with them. Like, rescue my dad. He's drowning. Yeah. I'll be over here now because I think about other people a lot. Yeah, no doubt, man. That's But that's what they do. I mean, that's, you know, I remember I was, I was out there having a good time playing volleyball. Hey, what, what were they calling me? Uh, hey, OG. OG. I'm like, how about OG? <laughs> you want to buy? I'm like, ah, you know, whatever. But no, overall, it was a great On the record or off the record? <laughs> <laughs> like, Depends who's asking. Who's this gonna get back from? Who's this gonna happen? Yeah, you know, that was a good time. So Jamaica's your spot. You like the beach. You right like now, the sun. You like is. to yeah. chill. Yeah, I do. I need the. I need the. I've, I've never been to Europe. Um, shoot, Derek. You know, my oldest. He he went to London for two weeks um, earlier. Well, I guess last year sometime. And uh, and I haven't even been to Europe. It's like, how do you get to go and? You went to London and all these different places, and I'm like, man, I, that would never be even a thought when I was your age. But I guess that's the sign of the times. You get to go to Europe before me, it's crazy. But yeah, dude, I remember the first time I saw the ocean was my freshman year of high school. Really? Because we grew up 
we didn't like both my parents worked and they did all right, but we mm-hmm. were a very like, you know, my parents had three kids. Yeah. They had they both went back to school in their mid thirties. So uh-huh. they didn't have their college degrees and yeah. they both decided to go back, you know, later on while they had three nice. kids. So money was always somewhat tight yeah. because they were paying for school, raising three kids, working full time. We cleaned churches on the weekends, we cleaned dentist offices, anything we could do to kinda like get sure. that extra money. So we didn't we didn't really take vacations other than, you know, once every three years, we'd fly out to Arizona to see my mom's parents or right. every three years we might go to drive to Colorado in our yeah. Mazda GLC, five people yeah. in a car smaller right. than my Chevy Volt yeah. for 16 hours with no, nothing, no, no, no devices. You literally stared out yeah. the window and you hated it. I was holding a tissue out the window yep. or... Saying bingo for that car and stuff. You play all types of crazy games as a kid. Yep. You just bored to death. Yeah. That was it. And so when I remember when we, my my dad and mom had saved away some money from all the church cleaning dentists because we always did it for the most part as a family. True. So they took us all to like a, I think it was called the Big Red Boat. It was a Disneyland, mm-hmm. Disney World, whatever that is down there. Yeah. Their cruise line. So we went to all these different islands in the Bahamas. Oh, nice. And that was the first time I'd ever seen the ocean. And then we did like, you know, I don't know, two or three days at Disney World. It was one of those all-inclusive deals. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking when my kids went to the ocean for the first time, Mm -hmm. well, it would be Connor Lane because he went to the ocean before Oliver was even born. Mm -hmm. They literally had been to the ocean or the mountains or on some form of vacation, Branson, multiple times a year, pretty much every year since before they even understood what a vacation was crazy. they've seen the ocean i mean there was times where we were fortunate enough to go to you know family member's house in hilton head island and we could go there and it was a low-cost vacation where we got to spend time with family sure. and they would go twice a year and wow. they had no idea like how odd that is yeah. that you know you can just go to a house that close to the ocean and hang out and swim and go out to dinner and ride bikes everywhere like that just didn't happen for me as a kid. And I think part of that is it's just gotten so much cheaper that people can afford to do it. That's true. When we were young, it was like, you know, you need a travel agent yeah. and, you know, you had to plan the whole thing out and it was yeah. super expensive. And, and now it's like, you know, you get an email from Travelocity. It's like, you can fly here for $3 right. if you leave today. <laughs> right. And you just take that, yep, bump and pay for it later, I guess. But, yeah, same with me, man. I didn't see the beach, like... I mean, I saw the beach very young because, you know, uh, Galveston is kind of, is down, like, it's down south, like, down in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, it's a dirty beach, but it's, <laughs> it was a beach. <laughs> so, we went down there a few times, you know, as a kid when I was in Texas. But Full of refineries? Yeah, it's just, yeah. just it's not clear. Like, you just, <laughs> the lake water in uh, Branson is probably clearer than Dude, that. Table Rock Lake, it's clear yeah, as Yeah, that's be, super man. clear. Yeah, that that's is not a lake, nice. man. That is that is like gold. That is, that is so nice down there. That's 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 like a small part of America that I think, unless you live around here, people are missing out. They don't know anything about it. Well, you know, I go down there, and sometimes I look at the natural beauty. And my family's tradition, or not my family, my wife's traditions, was they that was their vacation over summer. So mm-hmm. they would, you know, throw everyone in the car, and they would drive to Branson. They'd get. A cheap hotel on yeah. the a motel. They didn't even go to hotels. They got yeah. a cheap motel on the strip, and then they spent the next week just going up and down the strip. Yeah. You know, my mother-in-law would go to all the junk stores and chocolate stores, and yeah. you know, she'd do all of her shopping and just sightseeing. And, nice. and my wife 
and her sister and dad would go do all the go-karts and mini golf. And so they have these incredible memories of it. Yeah. And I'm sure they went to Table Rock and things like that, but a lot of it was centered around the strip. And I remember, you know, the first couple times I went, I had a lot of fun. And then I kind of got negative towards it because I got kind of burned out on just the traffic of the strip. And the yeah. fact that I was driving five hours and spending my vacation just to ride go-karts yeah. around a bunch of like, you know, interesting people. Yeah. And so I actually didn't go a couple of years because I was just so burned out on that process. No. And then I kind of like looked back at that and I thought, man, that whole area is surrounded by beautiful Ozark country. You've got Table Rock Lake, you've got these hiking trails, you've got incredible things. So maybe we need to reanalyze the way we sure. perceive this to be. Mm -hmm. And so we went down and this last time we went, me and my father-in-law and my sons, yeah. And a lot of times my wife would pick a specific trail mm -hmm. every day. We'd start out the day with a beautiful trail through the wilderness. Yeah. We'd go do our time on the strip. We'd go hit the lake and it became an enjoyable thing. So that yes. was one thing I learned is like our, my preconceived notion of I'd rather just be in Boulder, Colorado or, uh, you know, I don't know, Portland Some, or yeah. anywhere. Yeah. I had to teach myself how to look at that and enjoy it because it was so special to those people that I loved. And so we sure. couldn't just stop it. And I also couldn't be a Grinch the entire yeah. time because I didn't want to be there. I had to yeah. figure out. And so that was something I figured out this last time. And now I actually kind of look forward to going down there because there's so much yeah. to see if you can see the entire picture instead of your preconceived notions of what's happening. Just the simple stuff, man. Like, like you said, we went to the Ozarks this, for the 4th of July this past year. And, you know, I, again, I had my own idea of how I was going to feel about it, but you go because that's what the family want to do. You just think about how congested that, what is that one main strip right there? You can't even really drive. It's just, and then you got golf, like miniature golf after miniature golf. Cigarette boats everywhere. Isn't yeah, that the thing down there? Is it's so like everyone's just man. got cigarette boats everywhere. And yeah. it's just it's overly congested. Right. I've been in the lake and probably, Lake of the Ozarks and probably, oh God, it's probably been 15 years. So I got to yeah. go back and check it all out. But I remember the last time I was there, I was like, wow, this is a lot of people. You make the best of it, though. Like you said, we went down there and, you know, you just kind of go in there with the right mind frame. And the fun was just, you know, just making the best out of it with your, you know, with the kids and stuff. Because, you know, we're going to blink and Oliver's going to be 18. You know, we're going to blink, you know, because it happens so far quick. Away. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you just can't, you know, have a good time with him. Um, you know, before they start liking girls and that's what they want to do is hang out with their friends and girls and all that stuff why well, can have you and you still look are you up. gonna let dom hang out with girls well i mean when he's of age i can't keep him from what's his age what's of age of age i would say probably eighth grade eighth, ninth grade so he's almost there yeah he's almost there. like you'll let him have a girlfriend over yeah. to the house and hang well, out and be uh, about all that. Like, monitored or what do you mean when you say he's gonna have a girl like what's your standard standing on that as a as a dad like, I don't want to be too strict because... They'll just hide it. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, like my dad, like my dad raised me. Like my parents were split by the time I was 19 years old. So, and I lived with my dad. So dads not be dads. Like all he knows is, you know, strict. <laughs> now he's great. Like he's like the greatest dad ever, especially like to my kid. Like he's so, I'm like, dad, I wish you were like this when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, he was just like, you know, no, like if I want to go to movies at night, he's like, no, you should have went during the day. I want to go to some movies during the day. Like in middle school, like you want to, 
you know, hang out with your friends or go to the mall. It used to be the thing we used to do, like, we were mall rats. And my dad was like, no, if you can't do it during the day, you know, what's going on at night is just so no. So I don't want to be, and I know the things that I snuck and, and did because of that. So, you know, I'm going to be, a, you know, I don't want to be way too open with it, but I'm going to be a lot more open about, you know, what he does. If he calls himself having a little girlfriend, you know, he can see the girl, you know, within reason. Like if she comes over, you know, or if you go there, you respect going over to their house, you're back home within a reasonable time, you respect where you're at, don't act like all of a sudden, you know, no, just don't get overboard with it, you know. But Don's a good kid, so I think for the most part, he knows how to, you know, do right by that. I hope he does anyways. Because, you know, you start liking girls, you get a little beside yourself sometimes. One of those uh, hormones hit. Exactly. Which, right. yeah, I saw. He's got a little bit of a got mustache a little, coming little in. Little Sanchez right there. Yeah, he's got a little something coming <laughs> in, so that might be closer than you think. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I know he's, you know, those girls, he'll say, oh, she's cute and stuff. So he's, he's checking them out. He's at that age where the kids are saying, I'm, I'm dating this girl and we're dating. What do you mean you're dating? That's the question I always have. You're going, we're going out. Where, where are they going? Like, you're going out? <laughs> what are you, taking her to Ruth Chris? What's the plan here, buddy? Because exactly. I should probably know if you got that much money on the exactly. side or if I'm paying for it. Going out, do you have a suit? <laughs> How does this work? Do you have a limo? Because exactly. I'm not driving you. Is your girlfriend 16? Because if she is, now I'm concerned. How attractive is she? Exactly. If she's super hot and 16, we're going to have to, you know, pull the reins yeah, back a little bit because I'm going to yeah. get real concerned real yeah. quick. I don't like what I'm hearing here. Me and, you, me and your mother don't even go out. So what, how are you going out? Well, you're too night? busy paying for his Ruth Chris events and limos. You know, how are you supposed to go out? Exactly. So, but no, it's all good, man. Like you say, you just got to deal within reason. I just know that he, it, it's happening so fast, man. It, it's, you know, so that's why I'm like, you know, I try to get as much time with that dude. Like, I get to the point where I'm like, I'm tired sometimes from just everyday dealings and, Oh, Dad, you want to play the game? And I would get to the point like, oh, I'm so tired. But, hey, let me take advantage of that while I can. You want to play the game with me? Let's do it. Because I know it's going to hit a point where it's like he's too busy for me. So let me just have a good time with him when I can. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Like, And I think each generation that is healthy kind of evolves more and more that way of understanding what your parents did, yeah. what they did great, and what they could have been better at. Yeah. And you're just looking at your own kids going, and it's that constant battle of trying to be more evolved while also like fighting the urge to just yeah. not let them do anything. Yeah. And we're so, you know, I, I, and we kind of talked about this the other day when we were catching up. It's like your yeah. grandparents did better than their parents, mm -hmm. hopefully. Yeah. And your dad did slightly better than your grandparents. Yeah. Maybe not as well as maybe he could have. Yeah. But based on the information he had, he improved, he let's did say, 10%, 20%. Right. Now you're taking the next 20%. Don may be an amazing, like, you know, parent just yeah. based on that chain of evolution. Yeah. How many people put in hard work sure. in order to evolve and make a healthier human being every single generation. That's huge, man. You're, you're, you're so... Because you're so right about that because, you know, you think about it. All we want is better for our kids, man. You know, and I look at, like you, like you were just saying, the generational, like my grandmother, like my dad's dad, my dad was raised by just his mother. And, you know, he had a sister and it was just them three. My dad, he's the oldest and he had a younger sister. And that was them. I'm sure somewhere in my dad's mind, he was like, you know, I don't want to have that situation. You know, I would like, 
you know, I know, you know, honestly, his dad wasn't around, so I'm sure he was like, I don't want it to be where my kids are raised with one parent, you know. Unfortunately, my parents did split at a young age, but my dad, but he got remarried when I was about 15. But I'm sure just the way that he raised, like, financially and things like that, we were a lot better off than he was with them. And I could tell he always wanted us to have more of a real, well-rounded family you know, environment because he didn't have it. All he had was his mother. And then two, I know myself, how I look at it. I know how it was with me. I know, I remember, you know, not having my biological mother around, you know, like I would like her to have her. My pops, you know, he did the best he could, you know, being a single dad. I was like, you know, I would never, I would never want that. You know, I wanted my kid or kids, I wanted them to be a lot better off in that regard. I wasn't even necessarily the, financial side that I ever really thought about it was just more of have both parents in a picture and you know you think about like you say all the other smaller things involved with it like you know how they raised how my dad raised how strict he was and things like that you know yeah that stuck that stunk but at the same time I can appreciate that now that I'm older because there's a lot of kids that maybe were able to just more do whatever they wanted to do and things didn't turn out as great, you know. Well, and in hindsight, when you're looking back at that, the dude didn't have a dad. Yeah. So he was raised without that father figure. Yeah. So I'm sure that plays into the fact that he wanted to be a very strong father figure for yeah. you because he's reacting to what he never he had. Have. And he's wanting you to have double what he didn't have because yeah. inside, I would imagine, mm -hmm. that hurt significantly and that caused a lot of you know, just questions on what is my role as a man? What is my role as a father? Because yeah. I don't, I, I can observe other people, right? Like I can see, you know, we all had that. Like I had friends that their dad was not near as strict and was more True. of their friend and more laid back. My dad was insanely strict. Yeah. And I would look at that and just go, wow, they seem like they actually really enjoy like <laughs> hanging out in each other. It's yeah. not just a disciplinarian mm -hmm. type environment. Yeah. But I look back, and then you, you start to analyze, you get older, what your dad dealt with as a kid, and you go, okay, I, I get all this now. Yeah. Like, I was more fortunate that I was raised with two parents, two fairly healthy parents, you know, they did the best they could, they didn't have all the information, they were, you know, significantly improved upon their childhoods. Yeah. And you look back at your dad, and instead of disliking him so much for little errors that he made or big errors he made, you look yeah. at it and you go, no, I get it. Yeah. I, I get it. I do. Like, and, and that makes all the sense because I'm, I'm telling you, man, like when you're in the middle of it, if you're a 15, 16 year old kid and everyone else is doing whatever, you, you can't wrap your head around it. But the older you get and you see how, you know, maybe friends of yours kind of fell by the wayside, like, you know, I get it now. It's like, I, I get it, you know, especially now that I have a kid of my own. It's like, I get it, man. And like you say, he's just trying to figure it out. Like, even now with us. Hey, you don't have a dad, and you're raised in an era where there's very little information, right? Yeah. Like, me and you can Google how to be a dad. We can listen <laughs> to a podcast on how to be a dad. We yeah. can read blogs on how to be a dad. Right. We have all this support and all this information. Mm -hmm. When he's growing up, and, you know, you're born in, what, 1979? Yeah. So he's in the 80s, yeah. early 90s, trying to figure out like what a dad, the appropriate way to talk and treat your son. And he has no idea what he's doing. And where is he going to get that information? Is he like at that point, yeah. you're pretty much 
probably a little bit angry that you didn't have a dad, and that comes out in some areas. Whether he ever says it or not, I'm sure it had to. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, you know, he's, he's probably a little bit pissed, and he's probably doubling down to make sure that that would never happen to you because he cared so much about you, and it yeah. hurt him so much. So, like, you look at that, and you just go, oh, yeah, I guess all things considered, like, that was yeah. a pretty phenomenal job that he mm -hmm. just stayed around, and he tried so hard, even though, you know, <laughs> it was a little intense at times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it was all bad like I just know that some certain things that you know maybe I would have liked to do and things like that that bothered me you know but you know but for the most part like you said he was always there like that's one thing I can tell you he's always there you know he always loved me show, always showed love and concern he just he was a dad though you know he's just a dad and that's not all his fault that's why it does take again it it's supposed to be a man. There's plenty of single parents who raised their kids just fine, but I'm a firm believer, and I really honestly think it takes a father and a mother to raise a kid because dads don't have that nurturing side. You know, he's just kind of like, you know, hey, if I, you know, hurt myself, it's just kind of rub some dirt on it, you know, you'll be all right, or you know, whatever. I can't talk to my dad about, yeah, this girl broke my heart, or. You know, you've been a sucker. Like, you know, well, you whatever. could, but he'd look at you and go, you got a dad, shut up. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, go do the dishes. Exactly. You know, that was one thing that, like, we kind of touched on in my first podcast with our, our other thing in our first blog was, like, mm -hmm. how many beatings did you catch as a kid? A lot. I did. And did how you? severe were, oh, my God, how severe were they? <laughs> but, look, I've given my son three weapons. I can, t I, I can remember because it hurt me. I remember my dad said, it hurts me worse than it hurts you. No, I get that now. It killed me to spank my son. And but when I did when I did spank him, I he laid across the bed and I took the belt and, and hit his butt. Like it was his butt that I was and that's it. And I wouldn't hit him hard. It hurt his feelings more. He cried more because gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Then I'm hitting him like to really hurt him. But my dad, when I would get whoopings, it was out of anger. And I don't think oh you should God. ever get a whooping or anything like that. Out of was your dad a big guy? Yes, he is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he is. Yeah, my dad's about 6'3", 250, and he was a Marine, and he suffered from severe PTSD. Oh, wow. And so, like, when he would... And, and, and looking back, I have so much fault in this because I was a precocious, very curious, very kind of defiant, and, you know, I really was always kind of like now trying to find the line. So mm -hmm. I would push him and push him, and I'd see he's getting triggered, right? You're crazy. And because, because that was the point where I was just trying to figure out those boundaries, sure. and also I was angry at him for different things, and I was angry at things that had nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. I would push him, and then he'd snap, and like, man... There were some, yeah. there were some beanies, but honestly, like <laughs> even in the moment, I was like, "This sucks," but I kind of asked for this. <laughs> <laughs> See, at least you can look at it like that, and you know what what you did, you know. And, and me, just same with me, mine was more, I was sneaky. Like I would do sneaky things that would get me in trouble, and that's what scares me because they say, you know, you're gonna get it tenfold from your kids stuff you gave your, your parents. Like I would do sneaky stuff, like sneak out of the house or you know if I got a bad mark on a report card I would try to you know change it and stupid stuff like that that's what I would get in trouble for. or if the teacher called the house and left a message on the answer machine you know not doing so great in the subject or something like that I already erased it and somehow it would always come back on me like I would always get caught 
And and that's one thing that, you know, my dad couldn't stand a liar, man. Like, I mean, it could be. Can you? No, I can't stand a liar. I can't either, That's the worst. It's like a snake in the grass. I freaking hate that, dude. So I get it. Don't lie about anything. Like, I, you know, I don't care what's going on. We're all human. But lies, there's really no reason for it. Especially deliberate, unnecessary lies. Like, we all tell white lies. Like, you know. Just like our wives do to us, Stacy, does this, uh, does this, if I put on a couple pounds, can you, do, does it look like my belly sinking over my belt? And she's always like, no, you look incredible. I think you've lost weight. Now, that's a lie I can live with. Right. Yeah, I like. But the lie where you're like, you know, you ask someone, did you, did you eat the last, you know, whatever? Did you take money out of my wallet? Yeah. And, you know, and they go, Definitely wasn't me. Yeah. Like, that's what it's like. Just come clean early yeah. on for that it's, one. If you need the money, just explain it to me. Exactly. Don't lie to me and double down. Like, your kids, yeah, they get in trouble. And, you know, early on, they've kind of graduated out of this. But early on, you know, nothing was ever their fault. Yeah. And so you'd see them double down and yeah. double down and double down. And yeah. she had, they had no ability to, and I think that's most young kids, you had no ability to take responsibility for something. Right. It was almost something that you had to, like, I can't tell how many conversations I had where I just sat Ollie and Connor laying down and I said, guys, I don't care if you mess up. Yeah. I just need you to say, my bad, I'm sorry, and we can move on. When yes. you tell me you didn't do it, you didn't do it, you double down, you start screaming and crying. Yeah. This is when we really have a problem. Yes. I don't mind mistakes. I mind covering up mistakes, when it's, especially when it's not even necessary. I mean, right. come on. Yeah. Or excuses. Yes. For, for certain things. Someone else's fault. So is yeah. someone else's fault. Yeah. I, I did that because of this. And it's yeah. like, no, you did that because you did that. And yeah. just say, I'm sorry, and we're going to move on. Exactly. You have control of your own self. I've, I've had that, that conversation as well. You know, you, you, you control yourself. This individual didn't you know, fix you to go do something like, like Dom <laughs> last year. Was it last year? Yeah. When he was in fifth grade, he went to fifth grade camp <laughs> and only my kid gets kicked out of fifth grade camp. man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, cause you know, you've known Dom since he could barely talk. Like when he's four years old, you've known him for a long time and you know, he's, he's a great kid. You know, great kid. Cause he's my kid. He's a good kid, but he seems to always find himself in the middle of trouble. And I think, that's partially because he is a very outgoing kid. Like, he wants to be part of everything. But at the same time, he finds a way to get himself in the middle of trouble every time. So he was down, um, they had eighth grade camp at some camp out. It wasn't too far, maybe an hour or so away. And, you know, he's he's away. And I remember the day. I think they were supposed to come back, like, maybe that Friday and... You know, Becky gets a call on Thursday that Dom, you know, is coming home now. Yeah, he has to come home. You, you got to come pick him up. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And you know, I just I'm mad because that's embarrassing. And, and I tell him all the time, dude, you know, be proud of who you are. Like everything you do outside of this house, just like me myself. Whatever I do outside of this house, I'm representing us as a family. Like if you see me on television because I'm going to jail because I've done something stupid. That's going to affect you. That's going to affect, you know, the Lawrence family. You don't want to do that. So if you're getting in trouble away from me, whether I see it or not, whether I hear about it or not, people are going to look at you like, oh, that's that, that's that dominant kid. That's that Lawrence boy. It does, you don't want to be that kid that looks like that. So he's away. Make a long story short, apparently one of the, what he told me, 
Because again, I don't even care what the story is. Bottom line is, you put yourself in a position to be sent home. I don't whether you start or not. You you walk away from the problem. You became a part of the you problem. You became a part of the problem, and you uh, you know you coming home, and it's like, like how silly do you look? Like how many kids out of all those kids that were there had to go home? One, and that was you. That's ridiculous. So even though you know I may know how good of a kid you are. Perception is key, man. You're the only person I got kicked out. <laughs> you. You know, one thing about Dom that I love, and he made our basketball team and our football team so much better, he was emotional. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He was that kid that would be underneath the hoop, throwing elbows, getting rebounds, and if you pull him out of the game, he was pissed. Yeah. Like, his feelings were hurt. Yeah. So, one thing I know about, or my perception of Dom, is that when he's in, he's all in. Yeah. Now, the great thing is that made him the heart of the team at that, you know. Yeah. Pretty much every time I played on with him, you want Dom on the court or at least there on game day in and out because he's going to bring a a heart to the team that pretty much no one else on that team had. Yeah. The downside to that is he's so emotional that – that might lead to him punching a kid on the exactly. court. Exactly. And it's not because he's a yeah. bad kid. It's just that he's so into it. He, owes, he wears his feelings on his <clears throat> sleeve. Like, he, he's just too pat. And that's exactly what happened down there. I guess some kid put a broom up against him in some weird way. And he got angry and took the broom and swung and hit the kid. And that's what was that's what was seen. Does that actually bother you as a father, though? This is something I struggle with because I... I'm not sure that would really be a problem for me. If that other kid is pressing it, mm-hmm. right, and he's doing something inappropriate, and your kid essentially goes, okay, let me end this. Yeah. And they do it in a way that doesn't actually really hurt anyone. Right. But, you know, obviously we all have to overreact and sure. scream and cry and send kids home and then have people sign waivers and have, <laughs> right. you know, 14 class meetings and school meetings and you know, all over a kid touching you with a broom and you hitting him with a broom to say, like, listen, this is my boundary. You're not touching me with a broom. We're not doing this. Yeah. I don't even know as a father, like, I'd probably pick him up from that and just be like, it's inappropriate. You have to control your emotions. But inside, I'm going, I'm actually kind of proud of you for standing up for yourself and setting a boundary with someone that was clearly looking to evoke something out of you. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I wonder, how how should you react to that? I mean, me personally, it, it... It doesn't, like, I've always taught him, you know, just protect yourself. Like, if, you know, if you're in a position, you, you should never start anything. But if you need to protect yourself. If someone's pressing it. Always, always protect yourself. I've always told him that. Then, and you're, you know, you're not backing down. Yeah. And you're just saying, listen, guy. Yeah. I told you not to put that broom on me. Yeah. I'm willing to walk away or turn away or not escalate this. But if you right. keep touching me, then I'm going to take that broom and I might hit you. You gotta be smart. I about it, don't know that I really have a problem with yeah. that, quite honestly. If no one gets hurt, we weren't we weren't there, so I don't know all the details. All I know is that I tell him to be smart about it, like. And in that moment, he was weak, and he did something that got him kicked out. And ultimately, as your dad, you want him. Yeah, you gotta to be, be able smart. to enjoy an experience and operate within a system mm-hmm. where he's responsible to those around him. Exactly. So that's yeah, a tricky yeah. line. It is. It is. Very you don't true. want them to just constantly get out of line with the rules and disrespect the rules. But at yeah. the same time, you're trying to get them to understand that, you know, it's one thing if you walk up and you slap a, you know, another young girl's rear end and you get kicked out for yeah. sexually harassing a girl. It's another thing when a dude hits you with a broom and you take that broom and you hit him back. Right. 
Well, like you said, I mean, the, the world is going to throw you all types of craziness, man. And, you, you know, you say you just want him to find that right spot as far as temperament because, I mean, he gets his temper, honestly, because I, I have one myself, but I think my You dad, always say that, but I've never seen yeah, it. That's because my dad beat me so many times. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's there. But, you know, I'm telling you, like, if, if my pops was here, I wish I could get him here one day when he's in town. He'll tell you, man, like, just, oh, man, like... I'm not crazy, but, like, if you take me there, it's a wrap. But my dad... Was... Actually, you know what? I did see it one time. When was that? Remember the birthday party with the video game truck? Ah, uh, you were there. I right? didn't see it, but I you walked in as it? soon as it ended, and I heard yeah. all about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that thing they're talking about. Yeah, man, that that's, that, that's it. And it's like... That... You also were in the group of parents when we had that basketball game in that tournament, and... Our coach's kid fouled another kid, and it was incidental. We all know our coach's kid was a sweet kid, but sometimes his body got out of control and he laid someone out right. accidentally. Okay. And the other parents started screaming yeah. at the ref yeah. that he did it intentionally, and our coach ignored it for a minute, but that was his kid, and he started to take it personally because the guy wouldn't let it go. Yeah. And I remember our coach walked across the court mm -hmm. towards that parent because he's like, oh, really? We're going to yeah. say that my kid is a dirty player. Yeah. When we all knew he wasn't, yeah. but you know that's right. that was their take on it. Yeah. And I remember... A few of our dads got up mm -hmm. and started walking along with Fred down that sideline. Yeah. And there was some guys that <laughs> this guy did not want to talk to. You remember Moose? Yeah. Ooh. D-tackle. What was he? About 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, seven. Six, six, seven, probably 350 three. to 400 pounds yeah, and not fat. of a man. Solid muscle. Yeah. And I remember I saw Moose stand up and start walking down the sideline. And then Fred coming across the court. Gerald, yeah. which... I mean, he played D1 football. Yeah. He's a big boy. Mm -hmm. And then I believe, were you involved in yeah, that one too? Yeah. They all started walking. And I remember sitting on the sideline going, oh boy, this is, uh, <laughs> this guy better shut up. Yeah. Because <laughs> these are yeah, not I four dudes that. I want to hit me. Yeah. They stick together. But, but yeah, that's crazy. Probably, I'm sure Moose was more like, man, let me make sure I separate this. Because that dude was such a, he's a gentle giant, man. If everyone was looking to separate, great. But all I know is if I'm that parent and mm -hmm. those four dudes or two of those dudes start walking towards me, I'm going to rethink yeah. real quick Zip. the uh, attitude that I'm having because <laughs> those are four guys that I don't really want to punch me, especially if there's only one of me. Yeah, let's just, let's just all get along <laughs> at this point because, yeah, man. The intensity of youth sports, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was at that point to have like Why a fourth grade tournament win for some tournament that didn't even matter. Oh, my goodness. Like, you know, we were just – the intensity of youth sports, sometimes you get caught up in it, and then you leave and you go, my God, are we a stupid What was I people? thinking? Because it'll catch you in a minute. Like, it'll catch you like, well, I really didn't act like that, didn't I? You know, but I don't know. It's it's something that uh, I don't think is ever going to change, man. Cause people, it only intensifies because we get dumber and dumber and more involved. I, I believe we get more wrapped up in thinking our kids represent us more and more every year. Yeah, So when things don't go well with your kids, yeah. you're so wrapped up in your identity of how successful they are that when something doesn't go right, it's like someone insulting you and now you're ready to throw hands. Yep, and those are the main ones. Like, their egos get involved. Um, you know, and, you know, what we as parents, especially as males, we have to understand we had our time. We played, you know. Now let our kids play. But I think these, like you say, a lot of these dads, I mean, some moms probably And moms, too, dude. They, they it try is to not gender specific, kids, man. man. And Whether it's soccer, basketball, or football, every sport I've been involved in at a competitive level, yeah. moms and dads believe they're the best coach, 
mm-hmm. on the field or the sideline. Yeah. They believe they you're never using their kid correctly, <laughs> in, including me in, at times, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, they do. Um, and they believe that if their kid is not succeeding, it has everything to do with someone else and not because their kid just isn't succeeding. Yes. So you, yeah. you it's hard to admit, like, oh, you know, Johnny over there just keeps spinning in circles and kicking grass, and he seems to be more into, you know, playing the banjo than football, but yeah. since I think he's a football player, I'm going to make him come out here. That's and then it. when he doesn't perform, because this actually isn't the right fit for him, yeah. now I'm going to scream and yell at him and get mad at everyone else because I'm trying to put my kid in a position to represent something for me that he's not even the least bit interested yes. in. Yes, that's it, man. And if more people, like you said, with, with but you can't make adults do that they're, they're gonna do what they do and it's gonna continue to be a problem we are the problem yeah that's yeah. that that comes when we when we sat down we talked about like kind of where we wanted to go with this yeah. i said well let's let's do a little introduction let's talk a little bit mm-hmm. but you came in and there's a specific subject that you want to touch on and it's completely sure. relevant to this current situation it's you know january 29 2020 what just happened yeah kobe Bryant, rp man um <laughs> To me, maybe the goat next to Michael Jordan, man. He's the best. Um, unfortunately, you know, everyone listening, I'm sure they know by now. If you don't watch sports, basketball, you know, died in a helicopter accident. Him and his daughter, man. It's horrible. Such a, such such a sad, such a sad situation. And you know, amongst that, you know, all the other, you know, families that are involved. There, what? I think seven or eight other people that were on a helicopter. Yeah, I think there was nine people total, including yeah. the pilot. So it was the basketball coach and maybe her daughter and yeah. then another baseball, yeah, baseball guy, guy with his daughter. I right. I can't remember the whole thing, but it, it ended up being, I think, nine people total that we lost. Of, and, of course, we're talking about Kobe and his daughter because – He's extremely famous, yeah, and he had an incredible career, and he meant a lot to L.A. and a lot of people because, you know, for me, I think the reason, part of the reason that it, it hit so hard was he was a rare guy that pretty much, I mean, I guess he got drafted by Philly, yeah. right? Yeah. And then he went to L.A. How long was he in Philly? He didn't play a game in Philly. I don't so he got traded to L.A. Traded, so right. you're talking about a guy who is potentially one of the best of all time yeah. who lived in L.A. Mm-hmm. and played his entire career in L.A. And when his career was over, he stayed in L.A., so he was a part of that community. So it was like when I look back at what he meant to people, yeah. it was the way we look at staying usual, right? Exactly. Because you got a guy that even though he could have left and taken more money and done all these other things, he not only played for 20 years for one team, but he lived in that community and he ran basketball clinics and he did charity and he never left. A great family man. I mean, he... He was so involved with everything that his kids did. Like, yeah, like you say, he never left. He could have retired and just rolled off into the sunset like okay, Michael Jordan. Like, we know people wear Michael Jordan's shoes, but for the most part, oh, you yeah. really hear about Jordan went and played too. baseball, and then he went and played for the Wizards, and yeah. then he owned the Hornets. And yeah. so, like, he to me, Jordan, hands down, is the best basketball player ever. Yeah. Maybe it's just my generation. Maybe yeah. everyone can sit there and go, okay, boomer. I don't really care. Right. To me, he was the one guy that yeah. literally was unbelievable. He made basketball exciting. He did all of his good work with Chicago, but then he had a, a story that didn't end there. Right. And, you know, so from Kobe, he differs in that he essentially left the Bulls and did a bunch of other things. Yeah. And so it wasn't like he was Chicago anymore. Right. He's Whereas not, Kobe yeah. was L.A. He was. 
And so when that guy dies and his daughter dies and the fallout from that and the other people on this this helicopter and the impact that they have, yes. that hits you. And, and it brought up, you know, I, I tried to ignore as much as I could because I just honestly Same don't here, have man. the energy to it, deal with it anymore. It honestly, like when I first got the text from my buddy, like he must have gotten the TMZ thing breaking because he told yeah. me no one else had heard. Yeah. And I Googled it and the TMZ page was crashed and I was like, ah, oh, this... This yeah, is probably this like is yeah. they got hacked or you know whatever, and I'm texting a couple other people, yeah. and I spent like half an hour like religiously like refreshing my Twitter feed because <laughs> there was reported his whole family was on there except his wife, yeah, and that was a whole thing, and then I just like after half an hour I was like, well the facts will come out, and I'm gonna yeah. move on and do something productive, yeah, but it produced a ton of hot takes, one of yeah. which kind of caught yeah. you off guard, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um... It was a, a journalist. Uh, she was a journalist for CNN. Her name is Allison Morris, I believe. She uh, she was reporting on the, uh, you know, what happened with the with the crash. And I'm gonna let you listen. This I, I told you I wanted you to hear what what it sounded like because uh, I actually have never heard this. You brought it up, and I was like, I think I saw that headline or saw uh, you know something in my Twitter feed, but I never actually listened. Right here it is. That's crazy. That's Los crazy. Angeles. She and, and you you can hear she's saying Los. She sounds like maybe she got the Knicks and the Lakers mixed up. I let you hear one more time. So is your perception on that that it's clearly a mistake, or what? What's your perception on that? It was absolutely a mistake. I mean, I, I haven't like looked this uh, this journalist up, but for her to be in a position where she's reporting on something like this, obviously she's, you know, she's done well in her career. So why put a career at jeopardy? I mean, it goes without speaking. What to 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 use the the N word like that does nothing at all for her. So it was obviously a mistake. But unfortunately, this journalist has, she's lost her job. Like she doesn't have a job now because I'm sure, you know, whoever her boss and her boss was at CNN felt that this is the right thing to do. This is the politically correct thing to do because I'm sure someone was super sensitive about it. She got some calls over something that's so sensitive that how can you get sensitive over it? And what I was telling you earlier, Connor, is what I wanted to talk about was we are way too sensitive. We are way too sensitive these days. I mean, for someone to, a slip of the tongue has caused her to, who knows how long she's been in journalism. She's lost her job. And this is going to follow her basically the rest of her life because of a slip of the tongue. And this is just, this, this caught my attention because there's so many other things that you hear and see just on a weekly basis of us being just sensitive over something that's not being sensitive. We give too much, so much energy to things and that's what makes it big because we put too much energy in it. Like, like me personally, I'm going to be honest with you. At this point in my life, we hear about the N-word, no one should say the N-word, and the N-word holds in history a strong, it gives people and, strong... And courage. as we talk about this, I'm a 39-year-old white guy in St. Charles. You're oh, yeah. not a 40-year-old white guy. Yeah, I'm a 40-year-old I'm a, I'm a 
black black man. So this isn't just two <laughs> white guys hanging out in Cottaville yeah. having a perception on you know race relations right. or what should be. This was brought up by Rod, and yeah. I think it's an important thing to talk about because it's important to him. Yeah, for for sure. And you know, again, proud black man. I'm proud of my history. I'm, you know, the whole nine. But however, right is right and wrong is wrong in my opinion. And you know, fact is, being a black man in America, I, I definitely know the struggle. I've experienced the struggle. I, I'm going to experience more struggle. I teach my 12-year-old son, you're going to see these things. I teach him to be a proud black man. You know, we see these things. Well, I, I want him to be prepared for these things because it's here. So for me to act as if there isn't bigotry and there isn't racism in this world, I would, I would be an idiot. It is out here. But I also feel that we... As a people, we go overboard with certain things. I, I just don't see how this situation, for example, if someone, if someone, let me, let me just say this. If I walked out here today, I go somewhere and someone called me the N-word. I know, I know the background of the N-word. Would it really affect me? It doesn't affect me like that. The reason it doesn't affect me that way is because I don't give it that type of power. And, you know, I look back and I, I know it hasn't been, but maybe 100, 150 years, my great, 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 great parents were slaves. Not even three greats from now, maybe three greats from me. My, my, my grandparents were probably slaves, which I get that. However, if you continue to give certain things power, if you don't move forward, if, if you keep living in the past, it's going to stay here. So someone called me the N-word. You know, depending on the situation, obviously, you know, it's going to get my attention. But am I going to let it get me bent out of shape to where, you know, I want to fight and things like that? Because the fact of the matter is, who's ever doing that? If someone goes out of their way to call me the N-word, they're trying to get something out of me. And why would I give that person that power? Just like the people who may have gotten offended by her slipping up a tongue and saying, you know, she's trying to say Lakers. Who's ever offended by that? We can't always use the, the race car. You know what I mean? We can't. Well, I, I think it leads to, I think what you're kind of getting at, or at least the way I understand it, yeah. is I think it could potentially be a slip of a tongue. And whether that's on the back of her mind or however you want to psych, you know, yeah. break that down psychologically of why that would slip out there. You know, the reality is currently if you make a mistake, especially in a public stage where there could be backlash, yeah. you immediately have to just chop that head off. And so there's no greater conversation, period, on uh, did she mean to say that? Was that racial? Uh, was that, you know, like, that's probably not her going, I want to throw out the N-word on right. live TV so I can lose my job and offend <laughs> probably, you know, 90% of, of America or 70%, I don't know what the number is, but I'm assuming a lot of America now doesn't really want to hear that screamed across broadcast TV. Yeah. Um, but in reality, we're not even allowed to have that conversation anymore where we sit down and go, hey, uh, so explain to me like how that would have maybe come out or yeah. like, were you under pressure? Were you freaking out? Was it live TV where you weren't expecting something? Yeah. Is there something in your background? Like it at least deserves maybe a conversation, but we are now at this point where one fatal public mistake yeah. 
you may be done. Because here's the other thing. Not only did she lose her job and she's off the air, which, you know, okay, it is what it is. Yeah. But now she's the lady forever yes. that said that. Uh, exactly. And so there's now this perception and this shadow that's going to follow her forever that we now assume, based on what we know, she's this racist, awful bigot. Yeah. And we've never even asked her, like, how did something slip out? <laughs> Like, I know I've never made a mistake saying yeah. anything in my life. I've only ever thought about everything I've ever said and said the right thing. Yeah. Why can't we have a conversation about that? Why is it that we just have to ax them and move on and let that person live in that forever? I, exactly. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I, I personally don't think she even needed to do that. I honestly think she got the Knicks. She's probably getting the New York Knicks and the Lakers mixed up. Or, you know, and, and that's what happened. That, that's what I think. Because other than that, it just wouldn't make sense. But that that's what I think happened. And for her to have to apologize and do all these things, I really don't think that should be the case. I mean, we had a couple years ago, it's kind of a different situation, but I want to say it was probably about four or five years ago. I think it was the owner of the... Uh, Clippers? Was it the Clippers? Yeah, you remember him? Oh, yeah. and, and he was like, he was, he was really, the guy with all the, you know, the young girlfriends and yeah. like just extreme racist. Exactly. And they'd known about it forever, but exactly. because he was a billionaire, right. people kept it quiet. It, just, it didn't matter, exactly. Until it was inconvenient for him to be there anymore. And maybe there was another move in play. Yeah. Because oftentimes when that stuff comes out, you find out that that happened for a reason. And generally it's motivated by money and power. Exactly. Exactly. You keep it quiet until it's more convenient for your organization or your team or let's say a guy named Steve Ballmer with billions and millions of dollars who wants to give you $2 billion for this team and now raise the value of every other team in the NBA yes. because he overpaid for this thing or that was a perception. Do you think maybe the fact that they had another billionaire waiting to pay billions of dollars for that had something to do with the fact they were allowed to now talk about what a racist he was because every yeah. other owner was going to benefit from this exactly. and he could be the fall guy yeah yeah i mean if it if it doesn't make money it doesn't make sense and i have no doubts that that's what it was about man i mean yeah i'm sure he may very well have been racist but that played a huge part in it man like that um i want to say it was, a, it was oh he was no doubt racist and they'd known this for like when you read read back on all of that they've yeah. known this for years yeah, the players everyone knew so everyone ignored it until yeah. it was more convenient not to ignore it. So isn't right. that hilarious? We yeah. are now, the league itself mm -hmm. is completely outraged that this guy said something racist and had a girlfriend that was, you know, whatever she was, 22, yeah. and not That's his wife, and all right. these things that now they use to sink him. Yeah. But as long as it was not a convenient narrative for them to talk about that in public, right. they covered all that up and everyone kept quiet and they kept playing so they could get their paycheck and they could get their things. Exactly. And so it's like, we, we it, it only comes to light when that's the more convenient play than what was already happening. Exactly. So is it even genuine? Like, does anyone actually really care that's involved with exposing that? No, it's just outrage. You create outrage yeah. when it's the right time for you, mm -hmm. and then you sack that guy, he goes down as a devil, which by all accounts, potentially he very much was, yeah. but you'd known that for a while. Yeah. So what is the reason it came out now? Exactly. Like you said, he has all these, I mean, what, the NBA is what, probably 90% African-American, like, you know, black, or... I, I, I want to say we, we, we had at least 10% of yeah. <laughs> 
six foot six right. guys like me in there. For sure. Known as shooters. <laughs> Hardworking. He's good at coaches. Bro. Coaches kids. <laughs> coaches kids. That's my favorite term. It's like you always hear people laugh about that yeah. when you hear an like an NFL player describe. They're like, yeah. he he understands the game. He's a coach's kid. He he hustles. It's like that means that he I guess like he just he, he does right. his job on the field, but he's right. not like you know the fastest, and he's not jumping out of the gym, and he's maybe not seven foot two dunking. Yeah, he's a gym rat. <laughs> That's <laughs> another term. That's another term that I love. Guy's a gym rat, man. He studies the game. It's like. So you mean like he's not overly athletic, but he somehow makes a fi- finds a way to make it work? Is that what you're saying? Right. <laughs> Is that I, I'm picking up what you're putting down? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. You're not getting over on me, but yeah, that's. But yeah, I mean, my thing with that is, man, it's just, it just we, we really got to do better with this, you know, because we're we're holding on to things that we we shouldn't hang on to. I mean, we have, you know, it's funny. Like I listen to. On the way over here, I was listening to some rap, and it's like... Who's your favorite? I'm old school, man. I can't listen to who, who this it? new stuff. Um, Jay-Z. Jay-Z is probably my favorite. Jay-Z. I'd have a favorite. You know my favorite? Who's it? Tupac. Tupac? Yeah. I freak love Tupac. That was my high school days. Yeah. I feel like, you know, as egregious as some of the lyrics could be, mm-hmm. I felt like what he actually talked about was... Really just turning pain into poetry. Yeah. And, you know, there's something about any kind of music, whether it's rap, whether it's country, whether it's pop, whether it's whatever, jazz, blues, I don't care. If I can feel the pain through the music, I tend to love it. And that's what what made our music better because these days, like I I talk with my kid Dom and... He's like, ah, oh, Lil Pump. Like, who is Lil? First off, everyone, everyone starts with a little. Yeah, you know little, little Pump. What is that? I, I always make fun of Connor Lane, my my fourteen year old, because he's yeah. into a lot of rap now. Yeah. And first off, he only listens. I've been working on him, so he's getting better. But yeah. for a while, he only listened to what they call mumble rap. So it's just oh, like, yeah, well, I know well, what you're well, talking well, about. Like, yeah, have no, I have no idea what this guy's saying. Yeah. Maybe I'm just old, and he just no, calls me old. boomer or whatever. But yeah. I don't get it. And then. I also make fun of him because every time he wants me to listen to a new one, because we'll listen to music together while yeah. we're in the car, I'll let him put his thing on, and I want to understand it. Because I yeah. remember as a kid being so into music and wanting to share that with my parents, and they were like, oh, that's a cuss word. And they yeah. didn't want to hear it. And I yeah. just wanted them to experience like whatever emotion that was making me feel. Because at that age, especially, like the right song could really move you. Oh, like, no, Maybe no. my parents will get it too. And they're yeah. like, no, no, they said shit. Yep. So we're going to, to turn this off. <laughs> this is inappropriate. We're going back to Y98. <laughs> now we're going to have, uh, who's the chick? Uh, Wind Beneath My Wings. Now it's going to be Bette Midler for the rest oh, of no. the car ride. I celebrate the entire Beaches album. You know, we should watch that movie when we get home so you can learn what a good person actually oh, does. No. And you can appreciate good music. And I'd be yeah. like, uh, so like, does that mean we're not listening to The Urge or, <laughs> or Tupac? I mean, is that a, I mean, I, went, I was into rap. I was into to a lot of punk rock. Yeah. And those were two things that... She wouldn't have it. She would humor me at times, and so yeah. would my dad. But for the most part, you know, they didn't understand it, and they weren't real interested in it. Because, yeah. 
you know, once they again, a chance. growing up religious at that time, very religious, you know, mm-hmm. cuss words and songs are on TV or, you know, talking about something that is deemed inappropriate couldn't be art. It just was offensive. Buddy. Yeah. You know, yeah. so then that, that gets you to only talking about certain things and that, that gets a really narrow category, which isn't always relatable to like, you know, a 14 year old kid that feels like he's misunderstood. Yeah. And then you're not relating to your kid and that's what pushes them. Dude, I remember like my, my, my dad wasn't super, I mean, we went to church every Sunday for sure. Even after I went to, went away to school and came home, like if I would come home, I felt like I was an adult at that point. My dad said, like, if I went out, like, Saturday night and I'm getting home at 4 or 5 in the morning, when they're getting ready to leave to go to church, I'm, like, 19, 20 years old. Hey, if you're in this house, we're going to church on Sunday. I hope you're rested up, but we're going to church. I only work Sundays, Dad. I'm going to work now. <laughs> yeah, I better be ready to go to church. And you know what? You have to get inventive like that. By the way, like, I am tired. I'll sleep in my car if I have to. I am tired, buddy. <laughs> I was such a nightmare because, like, and we talked about this a little bit. I was raised Christian science, and Christian science is, you know, something where you show up to church, there's, like, you know, two hymns, there's, like, a reading of a prayer, everyone sits there very quietly, there's no, you know, what what I went to at times with my wife, who was raised uh, free will Baptist, and then when we got married, she wanted to go to, like, non-denominational Christian churches, so Mm -hmm. the culture shock to me of going from this church where you have these very set things and there's no video screens, there's barely a microphone, mm-hmm. and it's very rigid and not entertainment in the least. They're not even trying to pretend like anything about it's entertaining. Yeah. And I remember the first time I went to like a big church with her around here that was non-denominational Christian. Yeah. I remember sitting there and just being like, I can't wrap my brain around how this is church. Yeah. Because... I'm sitting there. First off, Christian Science Church has had about 50, 50 to 100 people on a really good day, yeah. generally. Like, yeah. they weren't, they, they didn't have 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't in, you know, 200,000 yeah. square foot buildings with cafes and hot tubs yeah. that, for <laughs> baptizing. Like, right. it was literally just a building that you would go into. There was a very dry thing you'd run yeah. through. And it was, quite honestly, horrendously boring yeah. although for the people that believed in that it was extremely powerful to them yeah. i remember seeing there in the first time at our at our first megachurch experience with with her and just being so confused at how this thing had turned into three video screens yeah a 10-person band yeah that is really well produced right. and really well done. Like yes. that's the thing is everything about it yes. was well done for, to deliver the message. Yes. If, you, if you were to ask them, that is to deliver the message. To me, I was like, are they suckering us into this with entertainment? <laughs> right. Like, right. does this message get lost in, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that, we as a consumer, because here's what I've come to, is I don't even think it's really what the churches necessarily want to do. Right. I think it's what the consumer demands. Yeah. And so a so lot too. of these churches that have built into this mega thing and had a, had a lot of success have built into that because that's what the people demand in yeah. order to show up and that give their ties of. and donate their time. Yeah. They want to be entertained. They want yes. free child care. They want... 
church camps and they want it all to be free and they want yeah. you know a youth pastor with the with the with the torn jeans and the and you know he's like going to be like we're going to have a nerf gun war guys yeah. let's roll <laughs> right. and then after that we're all going to go get snow cones exactly. and like you know that's how we draw the they kids want. in and maybe that gets the message to them or maybe it's just fun for them to hang out and they get to know some really good people that's the yeah. thing is i'm not sure it's wrong mm-hmm. and i'm not even sure that's what they want to do but I think they do that because the consumer is so jaded. We demand consumerism Absolutely. even within our church structures. And that's, so yeah, that's the truth. you go to these, and, and here I'm sitting saying, I don't want to be at that mega church that's doing that because to me that the message for me gets lost in all the distractions. Yeah. But I also don't want to go to a Christian science church where we you know, sing two old hymns, read directly from the lesson plan, yeah. sing two more hymns, have 20 minutes for testimony, and then go home. Yeah, that, that's the truth, man. I remember, <laughs> I didn't go to Christian science, but I told you, you know, when we were talking that day, I was raised in, like, the Kojic Church, Church of God in Christ, and which, for the most part, they're just kind of, kind of poor. Like, they don't have a whole lot. Kind of, almost sort of sounds like, you know, as far as the, facility the, the way that your church was kind of same thing not very big and just you know not a lot to work with definitely comparison to these huge mega churches so I remember when I was like gosh I might have been 17 or so I was you know still in high school and the church that we were going to here like when I was still with my parents and stuff it was in um Walnut Park area if you know that's that it's like in a city like north side like Northside? Yeah, it's like pretty rough area. And uh, the church was like a storefront. Like it was just kind of a, you know, small storefront church. Like it was, a, it was basically it used to be a store. They turned it into like, and they put pews and stuff in there, whatever. And, you know, my dad was, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the deacons in the church. And, you know, so he was, you know, good friends with the pastor that was the church at the time. Relatively speaking, the pastor wasn't very old. I mean, he was, you know, shucks, if I was, you know, let's say I was 17 years old, I guess he might have been in like maybe in his 40s, late 40s. So he wasn't, you know, really old. So he would ask me, you know, hey, you know, because the church was not very big. Like they had a bunch, it was dying, to be honest with you. They were trying. Yeah, they they were were trying. They they were were, trying to figure it out, but they didn't have the income. They didn't have the income. They needed three video screens and a band. Yeah. But you need a big budget. You have to have a big, exactly. And I I was was like 17, so maybe I didn't know how to explain that to him, but I did know that, you know, they had like what they call mothers of the church. You know, I don't know if you've ever been at anything remote, but you say it's really compared... It's really comparable to like Southern Baptist type church. That's what it's kind of like. So they have like what are called. You said almost Pentecostal. Yeah, right? like Pentecostal type deal. And they have, they have what's called like mothers of the church, which are like like the older women. Like, you know, when I say older, like grandmas of the church. The women that would wear like the big. The <laughs> wisest. Big hats. Yeah, exactly. They have the big hats and, you know, just old, set in their old ways. And anything we're talking about, like they're stuck in their old ways. So they're singing these old hymns, like you said, that. Just so boring and you know just slow and boring and he's like man what can I do to you know get younger people in here because we're dying here and I'm like first and foremost man the location like I don't know how many people want to come to you know Walnut Park area you know like that like you're gonna have to move well he was dealing with 
Well, his dad had passed not, you know, not too much long before he kind of took over. But his mom, you know, his dad had passed away. His mom was like one of the mothers of the church. So if he were like, hey, you know, I think I have some good ideas. I think we need to move our church. We need to go somewhere else. She's like, no, this is what we have. This is where they didn't have, they didn't want to move. So it's kind of like, you know, set in their own way. So it's like, you can't move. And it was the worst. Meanwhile, the community around them is kind of deteriorating yeah, and exactly. people are leaving. Man. And, you know, you grow up. I don't know if you grow up in that environment is your goal yeah. to get out. What's that? If, you're, if your community yeah, is degrading exactly. all around you, mm-hmm. like, is your goal to get out, which means that, therefore, even all these people that you're raising up in the church, yeah. how many say. of them are going to buy a house in Walnut Park and commute to Clayton to be a lawyer accountant exactly. or, I don't know, mow yards or whatever it is yeah. that people do when they grow up and they have other dreams. It's not going to happen. And then, you know, like you're saying, in my opinion, you're having these young people, even the young people that are there, I don't think that that's what they should strive to want to be around. I feel like kids are visual, man. Like, they want to see good, good things. They want to see things getting better. And even myself, like, growing up in that type of church, not, you know... That was my main church, like here in St. Louis, that's where we went. But like even growing up in Texas, it was the same type of church where it was just not a lot going on. And I got to a point where I'm like, if this is what being a Christian is, I don't want it. Like it just, it's boring. Like we can't do anything. Like, you know. Well, it was really restrictive. In yeah, Europe, very right? restrictive, right. So like, you know, I can say for Christian science, you're not allowed to smoke. You're not allowed to drink. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to, and they may have changed some of these. I've been, you know, I, I haven't gone to a Christian science church or been involved in that community since I was Same probably here. 16. Yeah. So I don't know if they've evolved, but you know, you couldn't even drink caffeine. So like oh, wow. we really? lived at Principia college. My dad managed all their, their dining facilities. Yeah. So he was like, you know, managed the cafeteria for all the college kids. And yeah. They couldn't even, they didn't have, they only had decaf coffee. They only had decaf soda. So, like, even down to caffeine was frowned upon, let alone, you know, going out and enjoying a cigar responsibly with your friends or, you know, having a beer with your friend. I remember at that time there was um, homosexuality was obviously a sin. I mean, I think that was the same for a lot of people. I think they've since rescinded their policy on that. Mm. Um, But there was so many restrictions in there that you almost wonder... You know, as as I've really spent a lot of time looking at this and I've spent a lot of time being involved in analyzing what spirituality or church means to me and my wife because we were both raised in it, but we both have our own issues with, you know, for her being Southern Baptist was extremely restrictive and for me being Christian science was extremely restricted and we neither have a passion to be with those. But then I go to these other churches that are wide open and more modern and I have a problem with that, too, because yeah. I sit there and I go, and and this is potentially super naive, and, you know, I could look back in five years and think this is ridiculous, mm-hmm. but what I've come to is, like, if I'm giving you 10% or 20% or 5%, yeah. the only thing I can look at in that situation is, why is all my money, or not all my money, but a portion of my money going towards... 10 people on stage, three video screens, a hot tub, a cafe, the HVAC bill, the property taxes. Like, isn't this, you know, and and I look back at at what our examples were 
And the argument that I've heard from I have many friends that work at those churches, and I respect what they're doing, and yeah. I think that they're doing what they're meant to do. Yeah. So it's not a we're not talking bad about a big church. Yeah. You know, this is just our naive viewpoint from where we sit. Yeah. Um, but I always wonder. Well, like you even say, yeah. and and we kind of talked about it. Church was boring and restrictive. So. Mm-hmm is part of the problem that we look at it now and we want it to fit us versus us fitting it? Because this is a challenging question I ask myself. Because the reason we have 17 video screens, mm-hmm. you know, 10 kids in skinny jeans that are torn playing electric guitars and they're yeah. phenomenal at their job, it's, it's a show. Yeah. The reason we have that is because the church, in my opinion, is trying to fit what we demand. Instead of us going, actually, this really wasn't about us. Like, this is the complete wrong way to look at religion and spirituality and what the church should be. It's it's actually not in service of whether it's boring or interesting to us. How do you translate that? I think with me, because I, I somewhat had a different, and I get where you're coming from for sure, but I think for me, the reason I kind of have a different outlook on that is because I was that kid that did grow, you know, like growing up in a church and on board is heck, you know. You didn't connect with it. I, I didn't connect with it, but and I saw, I just saw the church was poor, and I'm not this materialistic guy, but when I say poor, I mean, you know, Bibles are like falling apart, and we're sitting on this pew that has no padding on it. Your back is dying by the time you get out. And did Jesus have nice Bibles? You think? I'm sure he didn't. But what I do know was is, his chair perfect. Do I? But I. But I also know that Jesus didn't drive a Cadillac either, and that's he what sure I, didn't. And that's and that's what I would see. And he didn't lease a building. And that's another thing. It's yeah. like Jesus didn't lease a building or buy a building. Exactly. He was relational. Exactly. Right. And, and that's okay. I see what you're saying, and that, and that and that makes plenty of sense. But at the same time, if you we're in a different time now. If you want to bring a flock, that t- times have changed. Like we didn't have the things now that you know, gets the kids' attention. Back then, they had whatever. Somehow, it brought the kids and, and the young people and everyone together. Now, the way that I grew up, when we had nothing to really look at, but at the same time, like, there's nothing going on. Everything seems just blah. But then yet, the 10% and your ties and everything that you're given, you don't really see it going into the church. I guess the lights are on. But I do see the pastor is pulling out in a brand new Cadillac every two, three years. Now, see, there's the problem. And that's like, right. I don't so like if there's no services happening, but I know for a fact 100% or yeah. 90% of my money mm-hmm. is going to the actual purpose of serving my neighbor's community and yeah. people that I can help, because I think that was kind of the purpose in the very beginning was to provide, to create community, provide help for those Think outside of yourself unselfishly and give your money. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough to make a couple bucks and someone else is less fortunate yeah. for whatever reason, I thought the purpose was kind of to unselfishly and unnamelessly give that to them and provide help. Yeah. So I always wonder, like, does the building get in the way of that? Does have to be having to be attractional to two or three thousand people yeah. get away from that? Is it is it meant to be me and you sitting here having a conversation and figuring out how we can do something or sitting in a living room and having these conversations as adults and parents and taking care of those around us or elsewhere 
Is it not action-based versus consumerism-based? I, I think it's a happy... These days, I honestly feel like it's a happy medium between the two. Because I, I think you got to be in the right place. Like, my church, for example, I, I happily give A because... I'm not a very, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person. And, and you know, I think part of, you know, going to heaven, because I do still believe in heaven, is that even though this world is like hell, I, I still believe that there is a Jesus and he died on the cross for our sins. And if we live in a righteous way, there's a better place. Why I do you believe, believe that? Why do I? Yeah. Because I've had, and I've had that same question asked to me many times, and it's a very good question. And I feel like it's individual experiences. You have to have yourself in a position to where you really believe in it and you don't. Because I'm going to honestly tell you, when I first, again, coming out of high school and things like that, I didn't want to go to church or have anything to do with God and you know, you know, all that because I thought it wasn't worth it. But when you hit rock bottom in life and you have nothing else to turn to, and you have nothing else to turn to but what you know, which that's all I knew, and I saw changes in my life when I did that, I can do nothing but believe it. I mean, I could tell you stories about me that you'd be like, wow, you know, really you're in that position and no one would ever know because, you know, it wasn't for me to like talk about it and do all those things. But if you've been in a position in life where all you have is your faith, like that's all you have, like literally that's all you have, that'll make you, that, that, that'll change you, you know, it'll, it'll so change So my question there though is why do you believe there's a heaven or a hell? I mean, because something has to be better than this world. Man. You think so? It, it, it has to get better than this. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, it's not like I've ever seen Jesus or God, but I know that I personally... Oh, hold on. He's downstairs. Let me go get him. I'll introduce you. <laughs> right. I feel like if it were for everyone, everyone would do it. You know, if you if you read the Bible, honestly, my personal... Personally, I feel like if you follow if you if you follow the good book, which is the Bible, you'll be okay. The Bible told tells it tells tales of what's happening now. It it tells it all if you give it a chance. But if if we had a tangible like when Jesus was walking this earth, if you had a tangible person to touch, like or if it was on Instagram, all oh, Jesus just imagine if Jesus Christ had yeah, Instagram, then everybody would do it. But, Think if Jesus Christ had an Instagram, what would he be posting? Exactly. What do you think he'd post? <laughs> he wouldn't post. Like, it, 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 I told you earlier. Pictures of his ass? <laughs> <laughs> he would be like, look. But but I'm telling you, man, if you were in that position, like I say, I'm no holy roller. But if, if that was there, everyone would do it. But that's where the whole term faith comes in. Like, believing something that you can't touch and you can't feel, you know. But you know it's there because you've taken the time to you know, spiritually release yourself and, 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 you know, again, I don't mean to get, you know, to that point. I'm no holy roller, but I know where I've been in life and where I've come from and what I've dealt with. And yeah. something has carried me over, man. Something I, has. I, I see that. And, you know, I definitely, at this point, and it's ever evolving, you know, I feel like I'm always trying to learn and understand everything better. And I feel like my viewpoint is so limited. I don't yeah. understand so much. Um, but one thing is, and, and I think it's one of the things that I, I think about a lot is Christian science just didn't believe in hell. They believed that oh, yeah. when, you know, this life was over, you kind of went to the, the next 
like what you learned here was mm-hmm. a lesson mm-hmm. and then you went on to heaven at the next level and you kept learning yeah. but you know there weren't people going and burning in damnation forever and so that's always a concept i don't necessarily believe in that kind of hell like where that's, you're gonna that's, burn that's what i struggle with and so yeah one of the things not having that perception of i, I really don't at this point believe in hell i believe there's something bigger than us and yeah. i believe i don't know anywhere near enough about it and i'm only starting to really think that through but i find it hard to believe and maybe that's what makes me so stupid and naive uh, that there's there's a hell that some people are going to go to and burn in forever. But if you just accept Jesus right before you die, no matter what you've done, then you're going to go to heaven. Yeah. And so I really wonder, you know, what is what else is out there? What is next? What would there be? Why is it that we believe in hell? Is it a fear-based thing? Is it is it to make us believe in something else? But do you believe in good and evil, right? Do you think there's good evil or it's just kind of... I think that's a super complicated question. I I, I do think there's evil out there. I'm not sure yeah. what I believe the source is. I'm not sure I believe it's as simple as God and Satan. Yeah, I know not that either. I mean, and yeah. I'm not sure I believe everything that's happening in the world is necessarily God's will. You know, yeah. there's a lot of events that I don't pretend to understand. Yeah. Uh, and I certainly don't understand why things happen the way that they happen and i'm trying to figure that out yeah but i you know this this concept of god and satan is an interesting one to me but i wouldn't say that i believe necessarily that god in his ultimate power is creating all this misery yeah all around us for the intention of you know i guess if you were to talk to someone, they would say it would be to make us believe or to make us understand that there's evil out there and so we should believe in God. Yeah. Um, and I get that, and I'm not sure I, you know, I, I don't really know where I stand on that yet. I know it's a complicated question to me that I don't yeah. feel like I have an opinion quite yet, but I, I really wonder on this concept of heaven and hell. Like, And, and I really ask myself, do we, do we fool ourselves into believing this can't be it because... I have to question myself. We that. we just believe that we're bigger than this. Like, yeah. what if yeah. this right here yeah. is all is we it? have? Yeah. And so we fool ourselves into being mediocre people because we believe, ah, oh, well, you know, we'll just we'll do things and we'll figure them out. But there's this there's this next thing that we do. Yeah. What like what happens? Yeah. And I, I don't know that I believe this, but what happens if God is literally, or whoever, yeah. or no one, yeah. is giving us, in my case so far, 39 years to impact as many people as I can yeah. and be as good as I can be or as bad as I can be, but he's given me this time. Yeah. And then instead of utilizing this time to the best of my ability, yeah. I've been mediocre at best, many of it, yeah. depend, you know, yeah. banking on the fact that this isn't it. Yeah, there's going to be something <laughs> so much better. And, and, and that's, it, I'm, I'm serious, man. I dealt with that for a long time, personally. Like, but there has to be a purpose. Like, there, there has Does to be there? a purpose. There has to be a purpose. Why? Because, I mean, otherwise, what's the point? Like, everybody... Does that not relate back to our own ego, though? Of believing that <laughs> there has to be more for us? There has, there to, has be, to be a reason for this because we're involved? Yeah. What if... That's our ego telling us this has to be so interesting and, and deep and something else. And meanwhile, whoever's up there is just laughing at us going, dude, you're wasting today. And that, and that could be true, but I guess I'm willing to take that risk, I guess. Because, you know, because think about it. Everyone has to have something to believe in, right? Like, 
you can't have where I'm just going through this life because everyone would be reckless. I know I would be. Would like, you really? Yeah. Like with your wife and family and your son, you if you didn't believe you were going to heaven, mm -hmm. you still wouldn't have the motivation to be as good as you can be with Dom and your wife and your stepson? I wouldn't have Dom. I wouldn't really? have a wife. I wouldn't have any of them because, uh, gosh, when I was younger, I was kind of wild. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I, it took, you know, it, it takes, to me, again, someone praying for me, someone looking out for me to settle, you know, get me to, to where I am, you know, because, dude, I don't know what I would be doing. Like, I, I've never been strung out on drugs or anything weird like that, but we all have our vices, you know, and who knows what the heck I would be doing. I, that's just how I feel. I, I just know how I know how I am. So if I didn't have that, someone's watching over me. Every move that I make matters. I feel like this life is a test. Like it's a test, and I think God uses us as as tools to spread His word. And who can you get on board of? You know, believing in me. Because again, if God was here to touch, everyone would do it. That's why everyone isn't going to get in heaven. I told you about the pearly gates earlier. You're just like, is there really pearly gates? <laughs> but, Are they really pearl? <laughs> Wouldn't God be a little bit more sensible and be like, concrete block will do. Right. Let's take care of everything else. Do we right. really need pearls? We need, we need something that's going to last and I don't have to keep cleaning it and all that. But yeah. You think you're going to be cleaning it? No. No. No, I'm not going to be cleaning it. In, in heaven, yeah. you don't have to clean nothing, bro. Right. Who's going to clean it, though? There's no dirt. To clean it. It's perfect. It's just clean... Peaches and cream, everything is great, huh? What would be, like, you know, so with the difference between these non-charismatic churches versus these very charismatic churches, mm -hmm. so what have you found yourself in now? Well, I go to Element. I don't know if you've heard of Element churches. Yeah. It's just a perfect spot. That's what I was uh, going to say earlier. It's like, for me, it's perfect because, yeah, it's a bigger church. It's non-denominational. You go in, and I've been to bigger churches like that to where you, it's just the glitz and glamour, and that's what everyone's all about. You know, to your point, is that what everyone wants, is the glitz and the glamour? Sure, it's a bigger church, and they spread it. They have, like, I'm sounds like I'm advertising for them now. They have, like, three locations at this point. Now. They've really built since we started going there. But I see where things are going. Yes, you know, pay your tithes, you pay your, you know, your offerings. But... You see that it's not just, go. you see, yeah, the nice stages and, you know, the singers and they bring people from out of town to talk, but they help people a lot. Like they do missions at least three, four times out of the year, you know, whether they're going to, you know, Honduras or just going to L.A. to help people or wherever they're going. And anybody can, I, can, can be Can I go involved. to L.A.? If you wanted Will to, they send me? You, you sure can if you want to. I love Anybody it. who's in a church, it doesn't make you feel like you're just a number in a church. Because I've been in those types of churches where you're just another number. Even though they're bigger, you're somebody in there. It's not like the guy who, you know, he's bigger than, than you or whatever. Everyone, if you want to volunteer, you can volunteer. Everyone's part of it. Everyone has hands in it if you want hands in it, they want it. And that's, that's what feels good. It makes you feel like you're part of something. And that's another thing I think everybody wants. They want to feel like they're part it's community. of something. Exactly. I think really good churches, yeah. regardless of everything else involved, they've figured out how to provide a place where people can feel like they belong, they know people, yeah. you know, they have friends. Because that is one thing that I think has been really, you know, kind of changing, at least in my experience, is 
we don't really have a lot of community outside of something that brings us together like that anymore. Yeah. So, you know, in my case, if I didn't own Upshot Coffee or something where I get to see people that I like to see all the time, True. and I had to just go and punch a clock and look at my screen all day and call people that I didn't really want to call or whatever it is that I would need to do in an office job where I'm kind of on my own and I'm maybe just in meetings and yeah. it's kind of not necessarily a relational job. Yeah. Would I need that? Yeah. I, I think so. I think, yeah. I think I have a luxury here of kind of creating people all around me that I look forward to seeing and talking to and it's sure. created a community within Upshot and I, you know, I think that's allowed me to feel like I have a community here versus sure. going somewhere else. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just think that's my experience is that through everything that me and Stacy have been fortunate enough to be involved in, we've kind of created that here. But I got to tell you, like, if I was going to work every day and doing something that I wasn't really in love with and I was surrounded by people that didn't really intrigue me that I wanted to talk to every day, yeah, I, I might really need an outlet to go spend time with people that just liked me because I was there and I was a part of something yeah. and they knew me. Yeah. I mean, and that's just how, that's just kind of how I'm built too. Like some people can just like whatever, it, you know, it doesn't really matter, but I like people. And especially like you say, here at Upshot, man, you have all type, all walks of life that have come here. Like, like I remember before you got, when you were still VBs, that's oh, yeah. what I still call you is VBs. I, remember, I still call it babies. I remember Stephen. <laughs> I remember Stephen Jackson being in here one night. You know, you remember that? When oh yeah. You know, Stephen Jackson came in, and I mean, you have everybody just. You know, it's a cool spot. Like you can't, you can't beat it. And you know, but like you said, just having some sense of community, and that's kind of what happens here. Like I've come up here before and ran into people that, oh, you come up here too? You know, yeah, you know, there's just people that you know from around. There's a good meeting spot. So yeah. There's a there's a famous thing that I've heard a lot of our you know regulars say, and you know I would say it's probably true for me a lot of times too. If you want to get a lot of work done, mm -hmm. don't necessarily come here. <laughs> because you're going to see a lot of people that you really like most likely yeah. if you've been coming here yeah. including our staff and that's an important part of what we do right um you're going to see other people that are customers and regulars because we built I, I like to think we built this really close tight-knit community mm -hmm. and you know so it is a place that it can be hard to get work done because you see so many people that you genuinely yeah. like and they probably genuinely like you yeah and it can be hard to you know we were here sitting here saturday yeah. and you know I enjoyed so much my time of just sitting here as a customer talking to you. Yes. Yeah, and I knew about everyone that walked in here. Yeah. Yeah. I could tell everybody, you know, like you knew everybody. And it's like, you know, if you saw, like you said, if you see somebody come in with the laptop about to do some work, if you're going to really work, you might want to go up to Starbucks or something. They <laughs> push, to push work away. But yeah, it's, I mean, business away. But yeah, it's, it, you know, it's a great spot, man. So kind of going back to our conversation on Kobe. What were some of the things that you experienced in Odessa, Texas, in your earlier times in St. Louis? What were some of the things that affected you, who you are now, and living in the times that we're in now sure. versus what Dom will experience in 20 years? Man. So, I don't know how familiar you are but with St. Louis, because for the most part, I guess you've kind of been in the St. Charles area. But St. Louis is very segregated. Man. Oh, my God, it's yes. It's crazy segregated. And so when I was in Texas, like, everybody, for the most part, I mean, anywhere you go, you're going to have, 
certain areas where it's predominantly whatever, predominantly black, predominantly black, white, whatever the case may be. But you knew those areas, and, and that's fine, whatever. But they had more areas of everyone's just together, you know. And, you know, that's just kind of how it was. So when I came here, it was like, like going to school, it was a, it was a whole new world because, like, we lived in Creve Corps. Like out in, uh, in West County, like oh, when yeah. we first moved here, that's where we lived, and yeah, it's predominantly white. Like you, you know, now maybe you know quite a few more blacks there now, but I don't know. Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah, it's still when I'm yeah. there, it seems like it's <laughs> pretty, still pretty. pretty yeah, one one way. Right, which is fine, you know. And whether that white's Asian, Korean, yeah, it's it's not necessarily you know hillbilly Dutch white. Exactly. But right. it is extremely, I feel like, pretty segregated. And I feel like St. Louis, a lot of it is very much that way. It and is. that was one thing. When we lived in Maplewood, that was one of the Maplewood one cool. bright spots. Yeah. And it was, I, I still sort of, as much as you can, I, I still sort of regret moving from there. Because oh, one thing that I really appreciated about that area was... People were so intermingled. Yeah. Um, you know, we were very involved at the school. Our kids were in kindergarten when, when we lived there. We moved out here, you know, pretty early on, but they got to do pre-K and, and preschool and some kindergarten there. And yeah. our kids would be sitting on one side a doctor. My kid's a small business owner. And then the next two kids mm -hmm. would be of different backgrounds and literally... We would pack them lunches yeah. from the school, from the parents to send home on the weekend because they they weren't going to eat. Wow. They, they just weren't going to eat. And so that's one thing that I've really, really missed since we moved out here is the diversity. I oftentimes yeah. wonder if I've done my kids a massive disservice by surrounding them with only other middle class, you know, potentially similar, yeah. you know, because even if... You and I are different races and we're sitting here, but we're both yeah. middle class. Yeah. We both, you know, can afford to pay for things. Yeah. We both, our kids can play club sports, yeah. you know, so there, I'm sure there is poverty everywhere, yeah. but it certainly seems to be hidden better out here. Yeah. And, and I really wonder if I've, if I've really done my kids a disservice by putting them in an area where pretty much... And at least in Weldon Spring, Cottleville, St. Peter's, my 63304 area code, it's a very affluent yeah. area. Yeah. And so my kids, you know, it's like, you know, do your parents make a, a, a combined household income of 80000 yeah. or $3.2 million? It's not, yeah. you, never uh, know. Do you, you know, pretty much all the people that I come into contact with at their school seem to be able to afford lunches and, and weekend foods. Yeah. So are we sheltering our kids from the reality of what the world is? Are they going to be uncomfortable being around that? Have we totally screwed up as parents by giving ourselves comfort? And in that need yeah. to give ourselves comfort and security, we've now given our kids this false perception of what the world and culture that is. That scares me. That's one thing that does scare me, man. Because I just hear some of the conversations that Dominic has, and, and I, I try to check him. Because one thing I did say, without changing the subject too much, that I didn't want to do is, I, I never want my kid to, definitely not as a kid, like, don't think about money. Like, I'm certainly not rich, but, 
money, I don't want you concerning yourself with money. That's something you shouldn't be concerned with. And so, but it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's one of those situations that also the woman would be like a spoiled, like don't be a spoiled brat with it. And I hear some of the conversations that some of the kids that he goes to school with, you know, and oh, well, you know, Joey has a iPhone 11 or he, you know, little Jackson got this for Christmas. And it's like, are you like, are you comparing? Like, what, what are you doing here? Like, did you have food? Exactly. Did you have food to eat? <laughs> exactly. And that, that's kind of what I'm like. I'm like, dude, like, don't, don't become that kid or, or, you know, if he, or, or if Dom has company over and, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, sometimes he's like showing off stuff that he has. Don't, don't be that way. Like that's, I, I don't, that's another thing that I don't like, you, you know, be happy for what you have, but don't brag. Don't try to show off and do those things. It, I think kind of what you're trying to say, the way I perceive it is don't make it about those things. You yeah. really have them. Yeah. Um, you don't have as much as some of your friends. You have probably more than some of your other friends. Yeah. But don't make the world about the things. The things, exactly. That's perfectly put. Don't make it about that because things come and go. You know, trust me, I, you know, I'll never talk to my kid about it, but when he get older, I will tell him about it. I'm like, dude, there's times in my life, definitely, you know, after I got out of school, I didn't have hot water. Like, I, I've been in a position where I lived in a studio, one-bedroom apartment where, you know, do I pay my car note or do I pay this? You know, where you're like, that broke, you know what I mean? You don't ever want to be in that position, but at the same time, just understand, life throws things at you. Don't get beside yourself. Well, let me ask you this. As a dad, if, if Don gets out of, you know, college and... Mm -hmm. He's, he's living in a studio apartment and he can't afford his gas because maybe he's just not making the best decisions. Right. Do you see yourself as a dad bailing him out? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, no doubt about it. Now, he's been a knucklehead in life about things then, you know, you know, obviously, you know, you got to have a talk about it. But even me, when I was in that position, I could have easily picked up the phone and called my dad, but the, the pride in myself wouldn't let me do it. You know, um, I just... I just wouldn't do it, you know. He never, to this day, I've never talked to him about that because, hey, I'm like, I got to be a man. I got to take care of my, I got to do what I got to do. And maybe I did some things that I shouldn't have done at the time, and that's why I was in a predicament that I was in. You know, I remember that situation when I didn't have hot water. The reason was because I had a job. I was working at a bank, got another job offer that I thought was great, not so much because of the job, but because... They give you a dollar more an hour. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was making a bit more money. And again, it was, you know, when I was working at the bank, I was doing a, I was doing pretty good, you know, and it was just me and, you know, I could take, and, and the car that I had was the car that my dad bought me, you know, when I, you know, was in high school. It still ran just fine. You know, it was a Plymouth Laser. I don't know if you remember those. It was I like don't. A, it, it basically looks like an eclipse, like a Mitsubishi oh, yeah, eclipse. Yeah. Same type of body style and everything. It's called Those it. were hot, dude. Yeah. And it was great. It was a stick. Like, it, the car was fine. But I had this job at the bank. was doing just fine. You know, single, like, having a good time. When I got this other job, I took it. 
but the job wasn't like I thought it would be, but it was making pretty good money. So I had, you know, all this money saved, you know, like probably in my mind at the time, probably had at least six months or so worth of money where I knew I could, you know, if I didn't have a job, I could pay my bills and do it and live just fine. Well, I quit that job because I was like, oh man, I'll get another job. Like, Within a month, at the at the latest, I get another job. I was feeling myself. I was like, maybe <laughs> I'm Rod. Yeah, <laughs> freaking Rod, bro. Right. I was like 22 or so. I was like, yeah, man, this is nothing. I get another job. And one month turned into three. Three turned into five. Like, oh crap! Well, that's a long time to live off savings. Bro. And I didn't have any money. You know, I didn't have any money at all. And I got to the point where it was like. You know, I got to pay my little rent, or do I pay this car note, or do I, you know, and all these different things, and, you know, got behind on stuff, and that was the worst. That's right there is what changed me as a, I think, as a man, period. Like, that's why I'm so damn cheap now, because I will not, like, because I bought, that's what, if I wouldn't have bought that, like, I bought another car. Like, I bought a brand, it was my first new car, and, you know, I didn't have to have it. I had a car that was paid for. Why would I buy a new car? And then quit a job, not, you know, much longer. Because you're 22. Stupid, man. And it was bad, man. It was bad for a minute, but that was a life lesson. I couldn't call my dad and say, Dad, you know, I'm busted. I need some, you know, it was too proud to do it. But that was a life lesson for me. And our kids are going to bump their heads. They're going to just don't want it to be a head bump that they can't recover from, you know. That's, That's what you don't want, but... I'm telling you, don't ever get too full of yourself. Because that's what I was doing, man. I had money in a bank. Nothing. And yeah. I'm only buying the finest beers. Life show. It's me. when you go from the craft beer budget back yeah. to the uh, Milwaukee's best budget. Exactly. From the, you know, je- you know the uh, the intellectual 22-year-old yeah. enjoying the side project, seller exactly. beer, yeah. to going... Back to high school where it's like, if I can get a 12-pack of Milwaukee's Best and just have a good night, like, that's the best I can ask for at this point. <laughs> you know what you got? You know, actually, I can't get... Just give me that tall can uh, of Bud Ice. Yeah, we're just going to need two of those real quick, and I'm going to go cry myself to sleep. This time we're going to be a party. I'm going to drink this, and I'm going to watch the NBA game or the NFL game, and I'm going to sob silently... Whatever I can get on Chani Levin with my. And when even if that really attractive girl texts me and asks me what I'm doing, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm too busy crying to even call him back. This is what my him. life has come to. <laughs> I'm drinking, I'm drinking a butt ice, <laughs> sobbing myself to sleep, all because I got a little bit ahead of myself. Exactly, I'm about to cut that bag of Roman noodles in half because that those three bags need to last me all week. So I'm gonna cut it in half and <laughs> eat the other half later. It, it was bad, but yeah, I mean that's. That was life, man. You, you figure it out and, you know, whew. Yeah. <laughs> so, wrapping this up, like, let's just talk about, uh, you know, if we were to have this conversation again, where would you want to go? Like, well, I think when we look back at this, we'll kind of think about, I know for a fact I'm going to look back at the last hour, 46 minutes of this podcast and probably oh, man, disagree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably disagree with about 90% of what I said because, you know, I think oftentimes we get these conversations that yeah. we're used to having on the sideline of a basketball court and it all makes sense in the moment. Yeah. And then we go home and we think about it and we go, you know, I, I was kind of off there. Yeah. So let's just admit now that we're probably going to have another conversation. Oh, and no we're doubt. probably going to disagree with almost everything we said. No doubt. But I had a hell of a good time. Man, this was a great time. Like you said, uh, we're going to listen to it and, and say, hey, we're going down this road. And then we made a left and never went back. Because we bounced around a lot. Because for not, if not any anything else, 
we haven't just gotten a chance to really just no. rap like this in a while. It's man. about a year ago. Yeah. That, you know, our, our we we kind of left our, our our basketball team, and yeah. and Oliver made the decision that he he didn't want to play tackle. He only wanted to do flag, and with our team yeah if you did if you played flag you had to play tackle so gotcha. we were forced to yeah. make that decision to yeah. go to a, a feeder league that would just allow us to only play flag yeah and so we made that decision and, and it was it was painful at the time mostly because we knew that we weren't going to see people that were extremely important yeah. to us multiple times a week right. so maybe we can use this as a reason to get together and catch up once a month or whatever it oh, may no. be to where we can have these conversations and you know, maybe we say one interesting thing in two hours and someone gets something from it. And there was Hopefully, a point. Yeah. To it. If Hopefully. not, screw all you guys. <laughs> Let, actually, like here's the closing thought. Okay, all so right. if Jesus had a Twitter account, what would his first tweet be? Oh, <laughs> uh, his first tweet was uh, it would probably be, uh, "I told you so." <laughs> Dude, my I think it would be I'm back. Right. I told you. Right. Kanye ain't shit. <laughs> That's what I think. We'll wrap on that. We'll uh we'll get this out to you guys and me and Rod will sit down again and have another uh conversation shortly. We appreciate you guys for listening. Once again, my guest today was Rod Lawrence. Appreciate good it, buddy of mine. We're we're located in St. Charles and uh we, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to uh VB's podcast. Signing off. <laughs>